On the Other Side was a production of the Open Stories Foundation between July 19th and October 25th of 2018. It has since been taken offline by Open Stories, but you can now find an archive of all 15 episodes on chrisway.com slash O-T-O-S or on whatever podcast app you're listening to right now. On the Other Side was a podcast project dedicated to discussing religious, post-religious, and religion-adjacent issues from a distinctly millennial perspective. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of On the Other Side, Millennials and Religion. I'm your host, Chris Way, and we have our other hosts, Michelle Ross and Blake Wright, here today. We're going to do a group discussion uh, as opposed to our individual um, episodes that you've been seeing in previous weeks where we interview panelists, guests, experts. Uh, today, we're going to kind of talk amongst ourselves as a group about a specific topic. Um, so without further ado, today, uh, our topic is death and the afterlife. Dun, That's what dun, we're going to be. <laughs> yeah, uh, we figured we'd, you know, pick something light and fluffy, <laughs> something really uh, easy to talk about. Just uh, all of our anxieties about death. Um, and so we're going to kind of break it up into, into pieces and I'll get more into the details on that in a moment, but yeah, we were, we were brainstorming different, uh, episode ideas and we all decided that we have a lot of strong feelings about death, about, um, what to do with our beliefs or lack of beliefs about what the afterlife is or whether it exists, things like that. So that's what we're going to be digging into today. Um, just as an intro for the topic. Uh, but one more thing before we uh, jump into that, um, we have a brand new segment that we're going to introduce, and it's called the Good News Minute. So some of you who have been Mormon or who are currently Mormon might have seen things like this in your Relief Society or Elders Quorum meetings where uh, people volunteer small tidbits of good news, things that have happened in their week that they're excited about, or maybe just a dog that they met or a good movie that they saw or something like that. We thought it would be fun, especially with, you know, how heavy this episode is to start off uh, with this new segment, the good news minute. So without further ado, um, let's just, let's just go to Michelle and then we'll go to Blake and then myself. Um, what's, what's making you guys happy lately? What's something that's good or something it could be related to Mormonism or post-Mormonism or just anything else in your lives that, uh, you want to share with us? Yeah. So mine is not, uh, religious good news today. Um, so I actually, I just got home from Iceland yesterday. Oh yeah. And, um, boring. Just kidding. That's so, so boring. I was bored the whole time I was there. Um, and you know what? I keep saying Iceland. Like I'm like, not oh, Iceland, yeah, I, but Iceland. Iceland. And I'm like, do I, is that how you say it? Because every time I tell people, I'm like, oh yeah, I went to Iceland. And then I think <laughs> like a they theme were, park made of ice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know what? It really is like, okay, you guys, if you ever get the chance to go to Iceland, <laughs> AKA Iceland. It is phenomenal. Like I, the pictures you were posting on Instagram look just out of this world. Well, first of all, I'm not on Instagram. Or so. the pictures you, were, you were texting, <laughs> and, it to, you were texting pictures. To oh yeah. I texted yeah. you guys a few pictures, <laughs> you and Amy and Blake. And, um, yeah, I, I did post one picture on Facebook, but I am not a true millennial and I'm not on Instagram. Yeah. What kind um, of millennial are you? Tell us, <laughs> tell us like, what was your favorite part of Iceland? It was just ev- like everything. It's otherworldly. I felt like I was on planet blog arc or, you know, something from like some <laughs> sci-fi movie that 
like it, it really is otherworldly. Probably 80% of what I saw, I felt didn't exist anywhere outside of Iceland. It was just amazing. So. And one of the pictures you sent, there was ice, which debunks the myth that there's no ice in Iceland. Well, no, there is. So there are glaciers. There's like three glaciers, I think, or a few different glaciers. One of them's really quite large. And, um, it's, there's this part of Iceland in the South that a lot of people go to. It's a big tourist attraction because it's this lagoon where the ice chunks have kind of come off and are floating in this lagoon. And there's a river, um, and it, the ice floats down the river and then it washes up onto the black sand beach. And so there's like chunks of ice on this black sand beach. It's phenomenal. It's just unreal. Maybe we'll have to post some of these pictures on the, the, on the other side, Instagram. Since yes. you don't have any, you know what? I think that's a good idea, Blake. Thanks. I'm full of them. <laughs> so what are your good news moments of the week? That's all you have to say. Just beautiful. I want to hear more well, stories. I, mean, I could go on and on and on and on, but you know, we have an hour to get through death. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so I, this one might be longer than like a little longer than an hour. I'm anticipating. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but I'm not going to um, make it longer with my tales and tales and tales of Iceland. Of Iceland. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm interested, but, um, my good news minute, I'm going to share my experience at Love Loud. Um, so for those of you who don't know, Love Loud is a festival. This is the second annual festival of Love Loud. And there's a documentary called Believer in which Dan Reynolds, the lead singer of Imagine Dragons, uh, documents how he got the festival to be. And um, breaking it down, I guess it's just a festival sharing love specifically targeted towards the LGBTQ plus community. And um, it was absolutely incredible. It started at like three 30. I got there at like five and it went till a midnight or close to it. And not once did I think like, this is boring or this is too long. Yeah. It was so good. You said it was um, very spiritual. It was the most spiritual experience I've had in a really long time. Yeah. Uh, a couple things that really got me good was they had a transgender um, child. I, I'd call him a child. He's like 14, I'd say, um, come out and sing This Is Me with with a few other members of Encircle. Encircle's a group in, well, it started in Provo, but now there's one in Salt Lake too where they essentially just house and feed kids that don't have a place to go because their families are unhappy with their um, sexual orientation. So that was really emotional for me. Um, something that hit me really hard too was the lieutenant governor came out and read uh, an announcement from the governor announcing July 28th from here on out is going to be Love Loud Day. Oh, wow. So we, Utah now has a new holiday, July 28th, Love Loud Day. That hit me really hard. Um, That's fantastic. Yeah, it got yeah. me so good. And there are several other times when I just – um, was moved by the spirit for lack of better words. And it was incredible to see so many people there just expressing love and listening to good music. So I had a blast. That's awesome. Cool. Um, my good news minute is, um, well, I've been, I've been disillusioned a lot lately with regard to like, um, 
whether activism works or, or what can be done to um, kind of move the needle or change the conversation or revolutionize uh, old big systems that are slow to change, you know, whether that's political or religious, ecclesiastical, cultural systems. Um, and every now and then I see something that really inspires me that reminds me that like, oh, cool, like this is powerful and people are brave. And um, for me, that's been the Sam Young story. And our listeners are in the future because we won't release this episode for another couple of weeks. So um, probably this story will have evolved uh, quite a bit by the time this is on the air, so to speak, and people are hearing it. Um, but the Sam Young story, at least so far, is this: he's this former bishop who is on a hunger strike, um, and he is the founder of the uh, Protect LDS Children movement, and just trying to advocate for the LDS church to change its policies about um, interviewing youth. So there's basically two stated goals. One is, um, you know, we don't want one-on-one interviews behind closed doors with youth to be a thing anymore at all. And and the LDS church has kind of softened on that in, in that regard in the past, you know, few months of like um, inviting parents to, if they want to, you know, uh, sit in or whatever. But um, he's saying, let's, let's just make it forbidden for bishops to, be behind closed doors. These are untrained, you know, people who are not trained therapists. It's, it could be inappropriate. It could be a dangerous situation. It leads to all these stories of abuse, countless stories you can read online. Uh, so that's one of the goals is let's just end that practice. And another goal is to, um, is to end the practice of, of any bishop or ecclesiastical leader asking sexually explicit questions of minors uh, ever. So that is great. I think those are really common sense changes that a lot of other churches have already implemented. And, and uh, if the LDS church were to heed um, that advice, I think it would be a great step in the right direction. It would prevent a lot of uh, really crappy situations that have happened that are documented that are awful. Uh, and Sam Young's um, willingness to put his own health on the line and, and do this hunger strike is really inspiring. You know, there's, as, as you two know, I mean, being a, uh, Mormon and and advocating for change from within is a very exhausting kind of position to be in, and often it feels like there's not much more that can be done. And I don't know. I think it's a this is an innovative approach. Maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't work. Um, but at the, even if nothing else happens, but raising of this of awareness of this issue, I think. Yeah, I think it's I, I think it's so, huge yeah, as well. However, it like gets me all fired up, and not because of. I know Sam's getting a lot of backlash and stuff, but just I, just the idea that I used to be a part of an institution that, and this is taking it from good news to like angry, angry moment <laughs> right now. Sure. Um, yeah. It's just so like, sometimes it's so when I think about things like this and I don't, it's just so asinine. Like it's, it's a way to control people like these sexually explicit questions. It's, you know, like I think about my own experiences, luckily I never had anything terrible, but I definitely got some questions and I, not as a child, but when I was going through a repentance process or whatever, it makes me so angry that I ever said anything to, you know, an older man behind closed doors about what I was doing in my personal dating life. You know what I mean? It just gets me all fired up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, no, I I agree. I'm definitely uh, angry, um, but I think um, 
I'm inspired in my anger. And I think anger can be a uh, really powerful force for good. And I think the in the context of this anger, it's nice to see yes, someone like Sam being being brave, you know? And I think that's cool. I mean, like one of the most powerful political moments of the past couple of years has been watching what the Parkland survivors yeah. have been doing, you know, uh, yep. David Hogg and, and uh, Emma Gonzalez. Um, like watching them speak up and continue to speak up has been one of the most powerful things yeah. in my adult life. I think like, like they're, they're like my heroes and it's really like, should we, should we describe a little bit about their situation? Uh, yeah. I mean, um, if any of our readers don't know, they're, they're the survivors of um, a school shooting and they are, they have been like really vocal, uh, really loud, really persistent, really articulate um, advocates for change. And they led kind of the March for our lives movement and, um, and they've constantly been um, using their experience uh, to amplify voices for, for positive change. I went to the March for Our Lives um, event in Boston, and it was really inspiring because you could tell that like this movement was uh, aware of, of um, the need for like diverse voices. So it's not just you know David Hogg. Um, it's not just um, like these like five or six like outspoken kids they're they're really wise they're really um open to other voices to people of, of like more marginalized groups maybe people who aren't um as as you know pe- people who aren't as listened to and and uh anyway that this is a little bit of a tangent but the point i'm making with that comparison is that like in the only the only reason yeah well the only reason why that um story exist is because of horrible, horrible violence, you know, and, and yet that story is the most inspiring thing that I think has happened in our political landscape in, in, in a while. So, um, so that's, that's the parallel I see with Sam Young. Yes. The situation that Sam Young is responding to is awful and, uh, justifiably makes you mad, makes me mad. Um, It should make all of us mad, but, um, but it's inspiring that there's people like that out there. It is. And I think, I think a lot of um, maybe TBM uh, active members might say, well, you know, the church has said that parents can come in um, and they, the bishops don't have to ask sexually illicit questions anymore. And I think it's important to note that um, I, that people like me anyway really appreciate those steps forward. But um, to have to have an apologetic stance on a situation like this in the in the first place is a little bit uncomforting. Um, I know I grew up in the church and was asked extremely ex- sexually illicit questions and whether or not the Bishop was told to or not shouldn't have mattered. I was super uncomfortable. Um, and I hate to piggyback off your good news minute, Chris, but I was at Sunstone this weekend and I got to listen to a live broadcast with Bryce Blankenagle for the, my book of Mormon podcast. And it was filmed at Hoppers, or uh, not Hoppers, uh, Squatters. And when I was leaving, there's Sam Young just outside the pub um, talking on the phone. And so my brother-in-law and I went and talked to him, and um, he shared with us some of the insider details. He probably wouldn't want me to share, but uh, he's just such a such a good, good, kind-hearted guy that just wants to agitate for change. And when he announced on his on, I watched John Dillon's live stream of it, and when he announced it, he said, I'm fasting. So that was kind of a good way to put a hunger strike because I'm fasting. 
for an agitation and he compared it to Emma Smith agitating for change for the word of wisdom. So he, he doesn't seem to be like throwing in the face that, you know, the news coverage seems to be portraying it as either change or I'm starving to death. It's more like, Hey, this is a really important issue to me and others. And I think it's important that you take this to the powers that be. Yeah. I love that. Um, we, yeah, we should probably move on to the main topic of the day, but, uh, if any of our listeners are interested in us doing like a full episode about Mormon activism or post-Mormon activism, that's something that we've been discussing. Um, let us know if you're interested in hearing about that, send us an email. Um, and yeah, we definitely have, uh, there's definitely a lot to talk about with, with regard to that whole scene, I guess. And, and that whole story, um, cause there's been more and more stories, uh, lately. Um, okay, let's talk about death. <laughs> let's talk on about to, death, baby. Oh, on to yeah. something light. Hey, really fast. Okay, I just I just have to make a confession about something. Yeah. Wait, we really need you fast. to make this confession behind closed doors with one-on-one. No, but no, let's just be... pretend it's just us three. Can I just confess? Mm-hmm. It's just us three having a chat. Yeah, no one's listening. Yeah. <laughs> It's just us, us guys hanging out. Everyone skips the last 52 minutes of the podcast. <laughs> it has to be to a male authoritative figure behind all well, those doors. So. You guys had the priesthood. Um, okay. <laughs> so I, okay. So when we were promoting for this podcast, yeah, Chris, you like posted everywhere. You posted on your Facebook page. You um, tagged Blake and me. And John DeLynn also posted and tagged us. And I didn't allow any of that on my page. Yeah. Because I, and, and I'm totally okay with being a part of this podcast, but there was something that it was like, and I noticed Blake had allowed it on his page. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I, I was starting to feel a little bit guilty about it actually, but maybe you guys can just kind of talk me through this. I'm just not, it's like, I wasn't ready to say to all of the people I served my mission with and all of my family members and all of my, it's like, I wasn't ready to just say, Hey, come listen to this podcast that I'm a part of. I mean, I feel like it's pretty clear that I'm maybe not active in the church anymore or that there's something going on, but I've never publicly come out. You know what I mean? I relate to that a lot, Michelle. I actually didn't know you could not have that posted. So I kind of (laughs) like, I I had already made my peace with this. Like, it's like coming out as for lack of a better, you know, analogy, it's coming out. And, um, so I just took that opportunity and ran with it. But, uh, I, I, I kind of, regret you telling me that you could have blocked it because I might have done that. Well, it's a setting in Facebook. So anytime somebody, ta- like you can set it. So if somebody tags you in something, like in a photo. You can hide it from your timeline. Yeah, you, oh, you, have to, you have to go in and approve it to your timeline. So I have my settings set so that if anybody tags me in anything, I have to approve it first or it won't show up on my page. And I didn't allow either of those. And I'm having, I'm kind of like, gosh, is it just time for me to be like. No, here's the thing. I totally, like, totally understand that. And and the only reason why it seems easier for me to just blatantly, flippantly almost uh, share this stuff everywhere is because I've been pretty vocal about my gradual faith transition for years online. And so 
um, all of the growing pains of like what that does to my relationships with people and what people think of me, I've been experiencing for the past like five years already, just bit by bit, you know, and it's been um, exhausting, but less exhausting every day because uh, over time, people who are confrontational with me about it or, or uh, aggravated about the things that I have shared over time, uh, they either unfollow you come to peace with it or, or they unfollow me or they block yeah. me or they hate me now Unfriend and you. it's over, you know, like, and yeah, no. And, and I'm not even exaggerating. Like, yeah, people have deleted me on all sorts of, uh, you know, different, um, social media platforms because of, uh, things that I've shared about the church. And that's even, even dating back like way before I started to go inactive, like back when I was still fully participating, um, fully invested in the mission of the church, but but just had some issues with certain things or some disagreements with certain things. Like people didn't, people don't want to hear that, and I and I get it. I, I know what but, that's like. But this is only like an advertisement for the podcast, right? It's not. It doesn't say anything sure. in there about my person you know what i mean unless they go in and listen to the podcast but the advertisement for the podcast does mention the open stories foundation yeah. and any uh you know any mormon who knows what that is is gonna well no i know but, but what i mean what i mean is it's not at all like you know like when we, it, it's not a, at all as if i were posting something like hey i don't believe in this or i don't support this or, or whatever you know what I, do you know what i mean it's like kind sure. of a different yeah it's just like oh here's this thing and people are going to be like oh what she's part of that but they're not going to unfollow me because of that post it's more just like yeah i'm kind of a i'm actually a very private person and yet here I am on a podcast sharing my life. <laughs> yeah. And your YouTube channel. I know. Awesome, awesome but, YouTube But I tried channel. to, you know, I tried never to be like too personal. Like there's things that I just don't share yeah. because I am actually like a very private person. And so in my mind, I'm like, they don't need to know my business. But, but, <laughs> but I also want this podcast. I also don't want, I want everyone to know like, hey, this is where I stand. And I don't know. Anyway, it's yeah. yeah. And I think the open stories is doing such good work. I'm just honored to be a part of it, but uh, I've been riding the wave so long that I think I just got comfortable just kind of like manipulating my vocabulary in certain groups. Um, So I think most people would probably assume that I just am a believer, but just not as active or just not as um, uh, like a Jack Mormon almost. But now that they're going to hear me articulate some of my, beliefs and faith and my transition, uh, that's, it's scary to me. And, and that's kind of a bullet I bit when we first recorded and I articulated some of those things. So when I started getting tagged in some of these things, I was like, Hey, this is it. This is it. It was exciting, but horrifying too. But the most, mostly the responses I've been getting have been pretty positive. Yeah. And I don't think I would get any negative. It's more like I, you will. I don't mean to, to scare you. I'm not saying that to be. Like, no, it's more. It's more about. It's almost like I only want certain people to know about this, or certain people to listen yeah. to it. Um. Anyway, I. It's mostly I. I don't. It's like I wasn't quite ready to. To be like, this is where I'm at. Although over the last couple of weeks, being able to think about it and kind of mull it over. I think I'm getting closer to where if you tag me again, I'll probably allow it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have, I have good, I have good news and bad news I, I, in my experience, at least um, 
the good news is, I mean, something like this podcast is only going to appeal to a small subset of people. Um, But the bad news is I I do want to prepare you for this possibility that if someone who is uncomfortable with the level of doubt or of unorthodoxy or even inactivity or non-practicing, you know, identity that we have with the church or complete disaffiliation, um, the things that we discuss here, the things that we express here, anyone who is uncomfortable with that, if they find this, like, it's very possible you'll get negative uh, responses, comments, messages. Well, hopefully they put on their WWJD bracelets and think like, well, if Christ were listening to this podcast, would he just unfriend us and walk away or would he join the conversation and help us grow together? Sure. And, and to be fair, I don't, I don't want to paint every like Orthodox Mormon with, with one brush because I have, have had conversations like that with the WWJD approach where members who completely disagree with me about everything are very, very loving and patient and kind. Um, so it's not that everyone who disagrees with what we're talking about here is going to be, uh, hurtful. Well, and it, it does break hearts, like being a part of this. I'm like, this would hurt some people that I love, you know, just them knowing because it is, it's a very powerful thing to be a part of. Because from their point of view, this, this podcast is a several hour piece of evidence that you have fallen away from God in a big way from their, from their worldview. That's what it, that's what it is. That's what it means. And that's, that's heartbreaking from, you know, if you take their perspective, right? Yeah, and they'll even so, think that you're going to experience spiritual speaking death. Speaking of death. Speaking of death. Let's, nice, <laughs> let's nice talk segue. about death. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the deal. I wanted to, uh, I hope this isn't too like weird academic or, or, or uh, reductively like systematized, but I, I kind of broke it up as, as you saw in our, in our outline, I kind of broke it up into four like subtopics. Cause I think the Mormon theology of death has like a lot of, context and a lot of um, implications that we need to kind of break apart in order to talk about in a, in a you know, coherent way what ideas about death we have inherited and, and whether or not we've let go of them and what we believe now. Does that make sense? So I kind of wanted to uh, break up this episode into these little pieces of like, here's, here's part one of kind of the theological construct of death and afterlife in Mormonism. Here's part two, part three, part four. And then along the way, we'll just kind of have an open discussion of like, where are we with this idea? Do we still like it? Do we miss it? Do we uh, think something completely different about this question, um, et cetera? So the way I have it split up is, is, you know, part one, the first thing that you need to know about the Mormon idea of death is that um, the soul or the intelligence or this kind of like this essential thing in you that makes you you is eternal, according to Mormon cosmology. According to Joseph Smith in the King Fallout Discourse and in other sermons, um, he says that like we have existed just as long as God has existed, which is a, like a fairly radical notion. There are other theologians and philosophers that have talked about this, but um, it's pretty rare in Christianity um, to talk about our spirits being this co-eternal thing with God. We've existed just as long as he has. Um, and because of that, like we have existed long before uh, we came to earth. And then after we die or after our bodies, you know, uh, die here and our spirits move on to something else, um, we're going to continue to exist. And so we'll never stop existing and we never have not existed. Um, 
so I, I think we need to start there uh, to in order to talk about it. Yeah, and I th- I want I want listeners to to know too, especially if there's any like active Mormons that the idea and notion of death in Mormonism ha- was malleable at the beginning too. I think sure King, yeah. King Follett was. 1842 or 43 it's very like, late in joseph's ministry yeah yeah and, and uh it, the degrees of glory kind of mentality was very heavily influenced by some masonry um we'll get there some, yeah. okay sorry yeah <laughs> but let's let's just start with like the soul though let's just start with that um what do you guys think about about your soul i mean do you think that there's a part of you that's not biological physical that's like something other, you know, do you, do you still hold on to that idea that maybe there's a sense in which you existed before you were born or that you will continue to exist after your death? Where, where do you guys stand on that? Yes. There was a story that I heard once about this doctor that uh, had a patient that was about to die and he put him in this like vacuum chamber. And when he died, his, his weight dropped by like, such a small degree, but he was like, see, that's the soul leaving the body. It's proof. And I remember clinging to that idea so strongly like that is physical evidence. My truth confirmed, you know, um, now I don't, I don't necessarily believe in like a tangible soul. Um, but like metaphysically the idea that, um, I'm spreading part of myself right now through this podcast, potentially through children one day, um, I think that some some idea of that resonates with a soul or just a continuance, uh, if that makes any sense. Have you? Yeah. Have you guys? What do you think, listened Michelle? to um, the heart of the matter? Uh, that um, recent interview with Christy Johnson or Christy Peterson. She was like abused by her father. Speaking no. of um, like sexual issues in the church. But, <laughs> so Christy Johnson, anyway, she was abused by her father growing up, her and her sisters were. And then, um, anyway, she did this interview and I just finished listening to it today. And she has a very strong belief in God. And, um, I, I it was so beautiful. Like, as I was listening to her, I was just like, oh my gosh, like she's, she is so confident that there is a God. She has had personal experiences with him. And I'm not kidding you. This was 45 minutes or a half an hour before we started this podcast tonight. And I was laying on my bed and I was like, yeah, maybe I, I could believe in God. Like maybe I could believe in that idea of a soul or like intelligences forever. Just all, all of that. Because if there's a God, then then there's all of this, you know, or in my mind, the idea of at least existence forever, maybe not before, but at least after. And I honestly, for like five glorious minutes, I was like, oh my gosh, like maybe I do, like maybe if I get down on my knees and pray and cry out to God, I will feel it again. And, and I'll feel what I felt before and believe at least in God. And I realized really quickly that I don't though. And I, it kind of faded away. And and I was like, wow, that emotional, powerful experience we feel all the time in the church and just in religion in general is really strong. But for me, I, 
I really like deep into my soul feel <laughs> the, the deep into my heart, <laughs> my brain, deep into the recesses of my brain. Um, do not believe, like I just to my core right now kind of feel like I definitely lean atheist and I don't, and I say lean atheist because maybe to soften it, but like, I probably just should say I'm atheist, but I just, I don't believe in the soul. I don't, it's like every part of me is like okay. science, you know, there's, there's no soul. Can I ask you? Okay. Well, that, that clears up what I was going to ask, but I'll, I think I'll throw it out there anyway. Um, Cause it seems like you're combining several ideas, like the, the, potential eternity of a soul with the existence of God, with the, you know, veracity of prayer. And, you know, there's all these things that are connected for you, it seems, but like, would it be possible maybe for there to be no God, but we have souls anyway? Like, what if we just have souls that are eternal, that reincarnate? I'm not saying I believe this, but is there room for that in your mind? Or is that out of the... There's not, no. And I think it's because maybe it's because the soul is so in my upbringing and my life was so closely tied to God. And it, you know, it was God. I will say I believe in energy and I believe that we exist forever in that way. Um, now I don't believe in reincarnation. I, and, and I also think even though intelligence is, is like Mormon theology, I think most people kind of believe that in a sense, you know what I mean? Like maybe not necessarily that we existed in some soul blob before we came to the earth, but that we, you know, have kind of always existed. There's a heaven and, and we'll always exist. And yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. It's so closely tied to God for me that, um, when I lost my belief in the church, I lost my belief in God and I lost my belief in and all of yeah. it. Um, for me, I'm like, I'm like a hundred percent agnostic about both questions about God, about souls, about afterlife. Like I am uh, convinced that there's no way for me to know until I die. Um, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to say either way that there definitely is or isn't some part of me that like metaphysically you know, exists other than my body that's going to exist forever or that has existed forever or whatever. But, um, but I like what you were saying a second ago about, about energy. And I think we've mentioned this on a previous episode. Maybe it was one of those that got deleted, but, um, <laughs> I, there's like, we've definitely talked about it there. And I agree with, I resonate with that idea of like, there is something about human existence or maybe about existence in general that is transferable and that moves, you know, through, the yeah. universe and through entities there's something about like if i if i die but i wrote something really transcendent or made a song or a film or um a tweet even you know like in, like if i just created a thing that resonates with someone else's heart um then i didn't really die you know what i mean i, I firmly believe that that's true but that's obviously very different than, you know, the, the religious claim that you have a literal soul inside you that, that is, you know, the same name as you and that will continue to exist 
in a literal, almost physical kind of way. Um, obviously, that's this is what I'm advocating for is much more vague than that. But I do think that that's in a, in a similar emotional space for me. You know that that gives me peace, and it almost replaces you know what I what I am now agnostic about that I used to believe so strongly. I feel I feel just as much peace about the idea that. Um, our ideas and our love and the way that we treat people that does have ripple effects throughout the universe. And, and there's no, there's no way to extinguish that forever. And so in a sense, we don't really die. Right. Well, and actually, Chris, I think it's even more literal than that. Like, yeah, you might write a tweet that won't exist in five years because Twitter will be obsolete by then. You know? sure. No, but I mean, there's always a record. No. And I'm, I'm just, using that as a funny example. But what I mean is, I think that now, in our current state, are like, you know, there may be ripple effects that affect people forever. And, and that's always going to happen. But I really believe that now in this moment, like you can affect the physical universe around you. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. We're always making those ripple effects. Yeah. And I, I like the idea of what, like the Big Bang, for example, we started as all of us all combined uh, in this infinitesimal blob or speck, right? And then um, from our perspective, it's infinitely larger than it was, but from another perspective, it might not be. So they might be outside looking in saying, oh, there's a little speck and we're all connected and joined. And uh, I often think like 150 years ago, they never even imagined like electromagnetism and now it's this whole field that we base our lives off yeah. of uh the higgs field 50 years ago and now they just got proven in like 2013 um all these like realms that we're just discovering now who knows how many more are out there that things can transcend ours and still perceive us and um so i kind of like those kind of thinking of those ideas and how we can one day transcend yeah this realm to another one or multiple, that kind of idea. Too. I love that. I might revisit that in a, a future segment of this, but I, I love that a lot. Um, okay. So that was, that was part one. That was like intelligences. And, and I think that's kind of the, the foundation that we have to build on when we're talking about the afterlife, especially when we're talking about the Mormon conception of the afterlife and, and how we have um, reacted to that. But part two, I would say is like the fall um, this is a very common narrative for any of our non-religious uh, listeners. Um, the basic version of it is just that uh, shit gets messed up <laughs> and and uh, things fall apart, right? And so um, it's entropy. It's it's this idea of uh, what other religions, other Christian religions, call original sin, right? And in Mormonism, it's it's a really huge doctrinal pillar. It's this um, it is a big foundation on which we talk about everything, including death and the atonement. And so I just thought um, that should be our second pillar to kind of discuss, like, do we think of death and sin and chaos in the same way that we did in Mormonism, namely as this disruptive force, this, um, this kind of breaking apart of something that is supposed to be whole, you know, because in Mormon theology, the idea is that um, we're all breaking apart spiritually and physically and that Jesus is the one who brings us together again, right? So he not only brings together our spirits in the sense that he makes us uh, better people and he 
mends our wounds, our spiritual wounds, and makes us whole, um, regardless of the things that we've done to hurt ourselves and others, um, because we can turn to him and repent. But in addition to that, he also mends us physically, literally, like our bodies, we fall apart, we get ill, we um, die. And then part of the plan is for that to be undone, for us to be resurrected. And so this whole narrative hinges on on the philosophical assumption that death and sin and chaos and, and all of that are linked to this this fallen world, this quote unquote fallen world that we exist in. And what I wanted to interrogate with us today is like, do we still think of the world as fallen? You know, now that we're not as Mormon anymore, uh, um, do we still have this paradigm or do we have shadows of it? Or how does that feel to us? Is that something that used to resonate with us or was it something we were uncomfortable with? Um, what do you guys think about that? I hundred percent did a 180 on okay. that topic um i i uh i can't remember when i first started thinking that the the notion that we're broken and we're fallen and we need this savior to fix us um i can't remember when i first thought of that as like a sales tactic like hey uh you're broken but don't worry i have some glue that'll fix you together for you know uh 10 easy payments of 10% right, of your income. Right. You have to sell the um, problem in order to sell the solution, right? Exactly, which is brilliant. And I think some people, it really resonates with them. Um, I think like drug addicts or people who have lost somebody and find solace in that and comfort in that uh, notion that somebody's there that'll fix everything. Um, so, And I don't want to take away from that. Who knows? But um, – I look at us as though we are just like shadows and dust. Like we are risen up from, from stardust and we can accomplish this conversation we're having and making love and cookies and the coolest stuff in the whole world or the universe. And I just hate the notion of people selling that you're broken, that you're flawed, that you've somehow been better than you were now until you got here and now you need fixing. I just think, I think we're so much cooler. You know, when I was in the land of ice, uh, (laughs) two days ago, I was in Reykjavik. And, uh, so my last day there, I was in Reykjavik and we went to the national history museum. And, um, so Iceland, when it was first settled, it was, it was settled by the Vikings who came over from Norway and Denmark and um, they were pagan, and so there was no Christianity there. And um, you know, I think they probably worshipped the, you know, the the gods of the earth as as many people did at that time. Um, you know, the god of water, the god of fire, the god of of the earth, which I kind of think is like really beautiful, actually. Yeah. Um, it's like this appreciation for the earth, although it was obviously taken too far, as humans tend to do. But um, yeah, it was just, there was something beautiful about it. But what was interesting is, um, now I can't remember, it was like in the 1300s maybe that Christianity was introduced. So, you know, over some some people come from, um, I don't know where, anyway, they, I think they originally introduced Catholicism 
And then over time, the religion of the country changed to Lutheran because I think they came under the rule of Norway or Denmark and then they introduced Lutheranism. But okay. it started out as Catholicism, Christianity. And I think, I can't remember, I think I read this in one of the one of their displays. It said, um, and they like introduced sin to them or introduced to them what sin was. And yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, it's so fascinating because before they were told that whatever all these things were sins they were just living their lives they they didn't even think for a minute that maybe some of the things they were doing were a sin you know and so yeah i in my mind i think sin is a completely um human construct like it's it's made up it's it's man made um, we determine what is a sin and therefore what can be repented of and how you, you know, like, like Blake, I did a complete 180 on that. I'm like, I, yeah. I think so often it's like, we, we, people are in the church or people everywhere in religions are like, Oh, the world, it's so awful. It's so bad, but it's only so awful and bad because we determined that those things are awful and bad, you know? Yeah. Violent crime has been decreasing steadily for decades. Yeah, yeah, all crime. <laughs> uh, I, I loved your, I loved your story, Michelle. I, I makes me remind, reminds me of two different things. One, I read the Book of Mormon somewhat recently, um, just for fun, I guess. And one of the things that stood out to me was Korahor, the Antichrist. Uh, this time around, seemed like a guy just living his life. And the Nephites came in and said, Hey, you're, you're sinning your head off. You need to cut it out or you're going to, and he's like, are you sure? Like, I'm kind of just trying to live my life. Can you leave me alone a bit? And they're like, heavens, no, we're going to kill you if you don't cut it. And I was just like, dang, that's the antichrist. And he's just trying to do him. And then, um, I spent some time in Scandinavia too. And I was, uh, learning about the Christian influence on Vikings and one of the early, Viking lords that was responsible for uniting the Christians with the pagans and the Vikings was his name was Blotan and he's credited for like uniting two different tribes basically like pagans and Christians in the Viking lore in the Viking realm um and what's interesting about that's interesting because um Blotan in runic is bluetooth and that's what we use today because they took two different technologies and merged them together. And the symbol for Bluetooth is runic for BT, Blotan. No so way. That's fun too. Whoa. Yeah. That's that is so cool. I, I think it's fascinating how you guys have both described a complete 180. And if you'd asked me maybe a year or two ago, I'd probably have the same answer. Like, oh, yeah, I've done a 180. I don't really believe in sin anymore. I don't believe in um, – but I don't know how to describe – where I'm at now, I think it's more, it's not quite a 360, but it's something in between a 180 and a 360 where like after my faith crisis, I, I, I had the same kind of paradigm shift that you guys described where I, I no longer believed um, that sin was this actual thing that, you know, God, if there is a God cared about and that there was, it was usually just a, a construct of, of human values and, and of our um, things that we care about, we call them, sins or righteous or whatever and we but to clarify that doesn't mean i don't think people can still do harm or like hurt others right right harm still exists yeah Yeah, for sure it's just not Um, sin maybe but yeah and yeah and in the sense that it's not 
um, an affront to like the cosmic, some kind of cosmic order. It's not, the universe isn't breaking apart because we hurt each other. We just happen to hurt each other. Right. Um, And the universe isn't breaking apart because we die. Right. Which is, which is the whole point of of this fall narrative that we're dissecting. And I think that's where I was for a while lately. I'm maybe it's just because I'm uh, much more um, disheartened with like the news and everything lately. I promise I'm not trying to turn this into a political (laughs) podcast, but like I'm, I'm like really angry really often. And often when I express um, what I see uh, in the news with people in power mistreating other people, um, the words that come most easily to my vocabulary are words that sound biblical, where I'm like, this is damnable, or this is sinful, or it is morally reprehensible, um, wrong, reprehensible, or universally wrong, or, you know, uh, and I, and I do firmly believe that, like, if there is a God, um, then he or she or it is angry at me for things that I do that are abusive or exploitative or um, reprehensible in the ways that, you know, in the, in the, like the behaviors that I'm seeing, um, or for the ways in which I am complicit in systems of abuse, right? I think that if there is a God, he or she must be uh, un- like displeased with the way in which uh, a lot of us just let abuses happen, right? And we um, continue to prop up systems of power that are oppressive because they benefit us. I think that there, if there is some universal higher power, then that universal higher power has got to be pissed off about that. But uh, on the other hand, like, I wouldn't call that a complete 360. And now I believe in sin again, because I mean, it's tricky, right? Because I recognize that studies have shown pretty conclusively that our ideas of what God thinks, uh, we just think that he agrees with us. So like, um, and so this is probably just me. My God's better than your God. Yeah, this is exactly what I'm doing. I bet I'm just probably just projecting, um, my, uh, indignation in, in the most convenient language that I can think of, which happens to be religious language because I was religious for so long. And now that I'm not, I don't know how else to express that kind of anger, um, without saying words like this is damnable or we're all going to hell for this, you know? Um, yeah. And I want to clarify a little bit too, because, uh, uh, in the context of religion, I would say 180 degrees sin. I just don't believe in it at all. Yeah. But when we're talking the context of like humanity and, um, the, you said destroying the universe. Well, if I murder somebody, I did destroy their universe, yeah. their entire universe. Or if I rape them or or steal from them, I'm altering their universe. And there's in a some kind of karma way. that's coming, and you know, like negative energy. I don't I don't believe in karma either, but I would I would categorize that as some sort of um, disruption. I don't want to use the word sin, but yeah, it's like a douchebaggery. <laughs> like just don't do shit to yeah. people that causes harm. <laughs> that's the official theological term. I think is douchebag. Yeah, well, the anti-theological. I think, I, and I do kind of believe in, in karma, not in like the literal sense, but in that idea, like we were talking about earlier of the ripple effect. Now, that being said, there are a lot of people who do bad things and get away with a lot of bad things, but there's just something that I don't know. I don't know. And maybe this isn't punishment enough for them, but like, they can't be really happy or there's going to be, it's it's going to come get them in the end, whether it's history or whatever. Um, but it will, I mean, it will, whether it's like, this is how they'll be portrayed in the history books. Like, yeah, maybe they're not affected, sure. but you know, they don't care. They're dead, but 
it is, you know, there is going to be some kind of ripple effect because of the what universe, they're doing. The universe balances itself. It reconciles itself in a way, maybe. Or, yeah, yeah I think I can resonate with that. Um, okay, I think we've covered the fall about as well as we can. <laughs> we could probably do an hour or two just on, on... Yeah, I could go on about karma alone for another 20 minutes. Um, but uh, we can revisit that in future episodes. The third the third uh, item that I wanted to, to touch on with regard to the Mormon theology of death is uh, this kind of pseudo-universalist theology that, that they have. Um, and again, for our listeners, I'll try to give a crash course, but uh, there's probably plenty of reading you could do that would be more informative yeah. than what I can offer in a few seconds. But uh, the, the boiled down version of it is that... Um, in Mormonism, pretty much everyone gets to heaven. And Mormons don't describe this as universalist theology. They don't uh, think of it in that term. Um, but it basically is. I mean, uh, you, there are very, very few exceptions. But for the most part, everyone gets to some degree of glorification, of, of, of rest, of, um, of sacred space, of this, of this, um, of this paradise. Um, but within that paradise, there's like kind of a hierarchy. And so depending on your deeds, depending on your beliefs, depending on your attitudes, depending on how you treat people, depending also on whether or not you followed proper protocols, procedures, and like ordinances by um, authorized uh, ecclesiastical leaders, um, you may or may not be qualified for different levels of glory or happiness within this kind of three-tiered heaven. And so there's like different kingdoms or degrees of glory within the Mormon cosmology of, of heaven. And I don't know, it's really fascinating to me because on one hand, it's like really universalist. It's really open. It's like, hey, everyone gets saved. Everyone gets resurrected. Everyone gets, you know, some kind of happiness, some kind of rest. Um, but on the other hand, it's like really strictly legalistic where like, oh, you only get into the best heaven if you do all the Mormon stuff. And if you do it perfectly, the super VIP heaven, as Brother Jake calls it. And that's so that even when I was fully active, that was so fascinating to me, that weird paradox between like strict legalism and like really open, really kind of radical universalism um, where everyone's saved, everyone's happy. We, we want everyone to be there. But also like there's going to be a, a select few that actually get all the perks. Um so, I mean, I don't know. I wanted to dig into that a little bit. It seems like none of us really believe in necessarily a heaven. I'm, I'm sure we don't really believe in a hierarchy in heaven anymore. But is what do you guys have to say about like any ripple effects that that doctrine left in your life or feelings that you had to shake off during your faith transition or, or what your thoughts are now about like... Um, reward or punishment, which I guess ties into what we were talking about earlier with sin, but like, how do we motivate ourselves to act virtuously um, without something like that rigid structure well, anymore? I, I'm like firmly secular humanist. So um, I really believe that we don't need religion to, or like supernaturalism or uh, superstition um, to have morals and standards and ethics. I think that humans have the ability to reason and, um, and to make good decisions, bad decisions, depending on if it's hurting someone, you know, I, I do think we're still animals though. And so we're still evolving and that's why we're seeing these animalistic behaviors out of, you know, dictators and, 
you know, people being the alpha and trying to take control over um, the world, you know, like we're still, we are still animals. So for me, it's all like evolution really that um, we have the ability, we're not born naturally good or bad. We are taught certain things. We grew up in certain environments. We um, are, you know, I don't know. I, I just, I really believe in the, the idea that humans can be good without having a consequence yeah. attached to it, except the only consequence is hurting others or not hurting others or, you know, like, I don't know. So what, what was the transition like for you to go from Mormonism to what you just described? Like how did that come across gradually or was it like you woke up one day and you were like, Oh, there's no heaven. I just have to like not hurt people. Yeah. And tell us what a transhumanist is or secular humanist. Sorry. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> I mean, unless we're just, <laughs> I mean, I know what transhumanism is, but, um, so secular humanism, and I'll, actually I'll just read the Wikipedia definition. So secular humanism, we don't care what they have to say about it. We care what you have to say. Well, and this is how I feel too. It's just, it's the philosophy that embraces human reason, ethics, um, while human reason and ethics while specifically rejecting religious dogma, supernaturalism, pseudoscience, um, as the basis of morality and decision-making. So a lot of time, you know, when you're religious, you say, oh, if I wasn't religious, I'd be off killing people or I'd be off doing all these crazy things. And I'm like, no, you wouldn't. Like, I mean, secular humanism, they're like, let's say a group of us grew up on an island, you know, away Iceland, for example. We traveled to Iceland and we grew up there. It's not like they were, they had just as much warfare as any other Christian community or Muslim community or, you know what I mean? Um, or lack of warfare. So there is something within us that leads us to, I think we're evolved enough that, you know, and that there's love there. We feel compassion and love for others, which leads us to make decisions and also just reasoning things out like, oh, if I kill this person, I'm going to end up in prison and then that person won't exist and I'll probably regret it, you know? So I think there's, I don't know, I think it's like evolution. It's just within us to to care. And you see that in animals across the world, you know, like they take care of their young. They don't have religion. Like look at whales or dolphins or um, elephants, you know, like they're, they've shown that when their children die, they exhibit true pain and suffering, you know, and they're not religious. So I think, I just, I don't know. I really believe that it's just kind of part of our nature, our evolutionary nature to um, have good and bad within us. And depending on our circumstances, those things can develop, you know? Um, One of my favorite ideas on this topic, I heard on a podcast, I believe, and I can't remember where it was, but somebody asked the same question. Like, how do you, um, how do you stop from being such a terrible person without belief in a deity type of question? And the person said, well, you know, I actually rape and murder as many people as I want to, which is zero. I don't, you know, and I, that 
really, it's funny, but it's profound. Like I, I think the worst person is one who only doesn't do evil things because of fear of a deity or hell or whatever. Um, I don't, I don't personally need the fear of, of eternal damnation to treat my neighbors kindly. Um, I know some people probably do and, and maybe that's, but you know what? I think that's like propaganda in religions because I can't tell you how many people I've heard say, Oh man, if I, if I drink alcohol, I'd be an alcoholic. Like I have had multiple people say that to me and I'm like, no, you wouldn't like maybe you would, but no, you wouldn't. You know, it's just, you've heard story after story after story telling you that even a sip of alcohol can lead straight to heroin, you know, like over the pulpit, this like propaganda. So yeah, I think, I think people in general, they think they would do all these things if they didn't have religion, but in reality, they probably wouldn't, you know? Yeah. And maybe even the people who do like alcoholics, uh, I bet a significant percentage of, of people that have addiction problems have those problems because of the constructs that religion imposed on them to begin with. You know, I, Oh, I drank one drink. I guess I'm an alcoholic now. You know, let me, um, let me alter that, that last question instead of, um, cause I think we're all in agreement that you don't need, uh, the, the carrot or the stick, you know, the heaven or hell dichotomy to, uh, act virtuously. But like, um, I think another rhetorical function of heaven in these, uh, in these religious narratives is to give you hope to just keep trying, not necessarily to like go out and not murder anyone, but just to go out and like do shit, right. To like go out and like keep expending moral and spiritual and emotional energy to try to better the world because you know that eventually someone's going to swoop in and like make up the difference and that, you know, things, things are going to become a little bit better if we just all like push a little bit. And when that is taken away, I think there's a very real loss, right? Like there's, if there's no heaven, then that means the world we see around us. And this goes back to, you know, again, to the stuff we were discussing with regard to the fall, you know, about whether we think the world is awful or good, maybe depends on the day. But I think there are ways in which the world is awful, even if the world is generally good and people are generally good and and people are generally improving. And a lot of that awfulness uh, that we see in the world is easier to swallow, easier to deal with and easier to push back against diligently uh, if we hope that someday uh, eternal being is going to like clean up the rest for us. Right. Like we're clean, yeah, like we're cleaning like up. Starvation yeah. yeah. So in Africa, like. so what gives you guys to hope to keep pushing for the universe to get better? Um, if there's no heaven, that's, that's what I want to know. Okay. And I, I want to say too, I love that idea um, of hope and continuation. And one of the reasons I think the history is so important is um, you know, the, the fluidity of this, this notion in the early days I think people think, well, I have hope. I hope for the exact thing that I've been taught my entire life. And I, for me, that that's not a, that's a hope in a construct that somebody else, that somebody else's hope, not your own, where in the early days, you know, the Nauvoo temple used to have rooms for uh, philosophy and history and Greek and Latin and all these different things. They'd go study and discuss these things. And then they get drunk and dance in the, in the first floor. Like that to me is, is, 
a freaking badass religion. And that's how my religion used to be. Now, if you don't swallow the, the pill that they offer you, then you're almost, you're almost put in a category that you just don't have hope because you don't have belief. And I say, um, everybody with hope come, come together and discuss it and let's, let's share our hopes. And if we disagree on the minutia of what you're going to do in a millennia from now, then that's cool. Let's have a drink together and dance. That's what I say. I feel like um, as soon as I lost my belief in God and religion and uh, an afterlife, I became more compassionate and I became more passionate about this life. And I became more concerned about the welfare of others. And I, and I'm not just saying that, like, I, I really truly felt all of a sudden, like, oh my gosh, this is it. This is my life. This is all I have. So I can't wait (laughs) to accomplish the things that I want to accomplish or do the things I want to do. It's not going to happen in the next life. I'm not going to have all these things that I missed out on in life happen in the next life. So I have to do it now. And these, and if your people, neighbor is starving today, then they're yes. not going to be fed in the afterlife. So you better feed them today. Right. Yeah. Like these people that need help, like what can I do because life is hard and we are still evolving and this planet is full of suffering and hardship, but it's also full of so much good. And I realized that coming out of Mormonism, like, out of my bubble that there were so many people out there trying to do good. And I want to be a part of that. I want to leave some kind of mark on this earth that I helped somebody. And, and it made me think about like people who take their own lives. It suddenly became so much more heartbreaking to me because I was like, it's so sad to me that you, you had so much pain that you felt you needed to do that because this was it, you know? Um, that being said, I also think, you know, if they're at peace now, you know, I mean, you're all at peace and we all die eventually. Like everyone's going to die. So I don't know. It's, it's (laughs) except the three Nephites and John the Baptist. Um, but yeah, for me, I, I seriously felt like, oh my gosh, this, this is it. Like I am going to live my life and I'm going to live it to the fullest because this is all I have. Yeah. You know, I really like that. Um, that your just, your description of this, like kind of diligence and, uh, and this diligent hope, this vigilance to improve your life and the life around you is a great segue to the the fourth uh, segment I wanted to talk about, which is um, probably my favorite thing about Mormon theology. This is the, the concept of theosis or divinization, um, what some theologians call like partaking of the divine nature. And it's not completely unique to Mormonism, but the way that Mormonism expresses it is is quite unique uh, and, and uh, quite distinct. Um, but essentially, in Mormon theology, in the highest degree of heaven of what's called the celestial kingdom, there's this opportunity to literally become like God. And the description, um, like the formalist, you know, there's, there's not very many formalist descriptions of what that looks like and of, and of the logistics of like what that is and what that entails. But the implication is that we will be 
gods, uh, essentially. We will be beings that are just as glorified, just as powerful, just as wise, uh, and just as responsible um, as God is. And and there's the reason why that's one of my favorite things about Mormonism, one of the things that still resonates with me, even though I'm agnostic about the afterlife in general, is that I think it's really cool, this idea that even in heaven, we still got work to do. And we're still going to be like um, trying to make the universe better. We're not going to be like taking a nap on a cloud, you know? And I think that that concept is so uh, beautiful and also like overwhelming and completely exhausting and really terrifying to me. Uh, even back when I was completely active, this was something that, that gave me pause and that like both uh, was intoxicating and uh, really, really frightening to me was this idea that like, we're never going to get a rest. They're, like God is not a being who's like super chill all the time and like always relaxed. Like according to every scriptural account that we have, he's, he's worried. He's anxious about us. He is, he is, uh, he's getting his hands dirty. Right. And so, you know, in, in the Pearl of Great Price, which is a work of Mormon scripture, we have accounts of him weeping and confiding in one of his prophets saying like, you guys are killing each other and I love you and you're supposed to love each other and you're killing each other. And it breaks my heart. And he's like, he's like torn up about it. And so he's having an emotional response to our depravity. Right. Um, and in, you know, even in just the new Testament in the book of John, we have this story of um, Lazarus dying and Jesus is, is asked to, you know, come and see that Lazarus is dead. And he eventually raises Lazarus from the dead, which is one of his miracles. But before he does that, he weeps. Um, in John chapter 11, it says Jesus wept. That's like just a two word phrase. It's a, it's its own verse. And I think that's so powerful. This idea that even a godly being is like really sad when sad stuff happens. And the implication of Mormon theology is that we're never going to stop having to feel that way. We're never going to stop, um, having relationships that ebb and flow and wax and wane and that are like a push and pull kind of difficult thing. And it's always going to be hard, even in a hypothetical afterlife. So even post-Mormonism that um, really resonates with me, that's something that I think about a lot, this, this um, no rest kind of idea, this idea that there's always perpetually more and more work to be done. Um, and I love it and hate it at the same time. Like there's a sense in which that's really powerful and invigorating and beautiful to me. But there's also a sense in which I'm like, Oh man, I hope that's not true. I hope that when I die, there's just a blank screen and like, I just disappear because I'm so tired. Um, so I just wanted to know what you guys thought of that. Like, is that concept something that, uh, is exciting or is overwhelming or, um, what, what it was never overwhelming really? to me. It was never made me tired. Like, and maybe it's cause I didn't really give it that much thought. It was just like, I think for me it was, I'm going to live forever and I have the opportunity to be a God. Although there was always that, yeah, but I'm a woman and, and what is, what does heavenly mother do? Yeah. You know, like we are always taught we get to create our own planets and, I'm like, like, what do I get? What do I actually get to do? Yeah. You know, but no, it never. I was never tired. I was never exhausted. To me, it just, it was just how it was. And I, yeah, just living forever in that state. I, I never. I guess I never gave it that much thought, honestly. So if, if you died 
right now and you found out that the Mormons were right all along, you would not be um, overwhelmed by that kind of uh, responsibility. You would be like, oh, that that could be neat, right? No, I don't. Yeah, I think it would be neat. Like, I, I think you would have heartbreak just like any parent, you know, um, you're watching over your children and you would have happiness and heartbreak and you'd have to step back and maybe let things happen that you don't want to happen. But, um, I don't know, but also I'd be bearing children forever <laughs> and I don't know that I would want to do that. <laughs> yeah. The gender dynamics of Godhood are, are really oh. messy in Mormon theology for sure. <laughs> what do you think, Blake? Um, so I went through quite a transition even during my, um, faith full years. Uh, so Starting off, I guess, we're, we're taught the plan of salvation, you know, we die, then there's a thousand year millennium, and then we have the judgment, and then we're taught where we're going to live, you know, and if we make the celestial kingdom, then we get to be gods. And I always envisioned like, okay, there's going to be a day when I will no longer be a human, I will be a god, like I'll just yeah. be crowned or knighted <laughs> or whatever you want to call it. It's after you construct your own lightsaber, you have to get a kyber crystal. Yeah, I don't know what those are, but uh, <laughs> yeah. I would have, I would just have those created. Yeah, yeah, well, I would know that. what they were because I'd be God, so I would just, anyway. <laughs> but um, then I started really delving into like the eternal progression idea because um, a lot of my family aren't LDS. And I imagine a lot of them wouldn't accept their uh, post post uh mortem baptisms and and all that stuff so i was always confused like well if they're in the telestial and i'm in the celestial what am i gonna do <laughs> well i'm a god i'll change the rules i don't know i just it's really started delving yeah. into like the eternal progression like okay if they're not there now they can be and it's just a progress you know it's eternal progression so i kind of like melded that idea into it and then i heard a talk when i was in college by elder worthlin i believe and he said that um you're, you're waiting for the eternities to take place and you forget that they're happening now. You're in them now. And I thought, oh my gosh, so if I'm a son of God now and I'm in eternity now, heck, I'm just a baby God now. So like I'm, I'm already a God. And so that really just hit me hard. And I've, I've actually taken that with me still. Like, um, it might sound like super arrogant to some people, but it's just a matter of perspective. Like I've got a super badass fish tank at home and these fish depend on me for everything. So I'm their God. And I feel like if you save a life, you're out, you're just like Jesus, you know, saving Lazarus. Now we go have surgeries to life-saving surgeries. And we're like, Oh gosh, that was so expensive. But that person literally trained and trained to save your life. Um, anyways, I'm rambling, but my point is like, we all, each individual of us have this like unlimited potential, whether you're Mormon or Christian yeah. or atheist or Jewish, whatever you are, there's no limit to your potential today. And I just love that idea. And I really no, think I, I got that, that idea. So from... much. That reminds me of that C.S. Lewis quote that was always quoted by Mormons. Mormons loved this quote, but he, uh, I'm going to butcher it in my paraphrase, but in, I think it's in mere Christianity. C.S. Lewis writes that if we were able to see each other, you know, as we really are, if you were, if you were to see everyone you've ever loved or made fun of, or, uh, waited behind in line, you know, at a ticket counter or, uh, cut off in traffic, like all of those people you've interacted with, um, if you could see them from like an eternal perspective, you would, you would, uh, 
you would be tempted to you would be tempted to worship them yeah because they because there's this like divinity in all of us and and you know i i know that mormons loved quoting that because it sounded like it resonated with like the literal theology of mormon like theosis but i think just on an emotional level it resonates with what you just said blake about this idea that we are all in the eternal now and we are all gods of our own domain of, of what uh, I think it was Neil A. Maxwell called it the stewardship of proximity. We have this sphere around us of things that we can affect and we have a lot of power over those things that we can affect. And we have a lot of responsibility to use that power in a way that uplifts the universe, you know, one tiny corner. At a time. I love that. Yeah, so that's really powerful. Yeah. Word. Oh, good. See, I'm feeling the spirit <laughs> so strong right now again. Me too. That's that's all the questions I had about theosis. Was there was there any like um, other thoughts you guys had or feelings about about the afterlife, about death? Like if we if we all died today, like is there something that you would hope to see if you found out that there was an afterlife? Is there something that you'd hope not to see? Is there something about letting go of traditional? I hope not to see burning flames. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I hope for that too. Is there something like? Is there something about your emotional journey from traditional religion that's been difficult or liberating that you haven't talked about yet that you wanted to touch on? Anything? Any like final thoughts on death, afterlife, any of that stuff? Yeah, I for me, um, leaving the church has been relatively easy, and I think part of that is that a lot of my family and friends had already left the church. Um, those family and friends who are still in the church are for the most part, open-minded or, um, you know, not pushy or try to get me back or save my soul. Yeah. And, and I was able to find a community really quickly after leaving the church. And I, you know, it's, it's been relatively easy for me, except this idea of losing the afterlife. And it was weird because, um, it happened pretty quickly when I lost my belief in the church, it was so tied in with, the heaven I believed in and the God I believed in that I lost that as well really quickly. And I tried to, you know, people are like, Oh yeah, well, what about this? Uh, you know, what if God looks different or, and I explored all those options and I really came to the conclusion that I don't believe in any form of God or, or Supreme being even. And, um, and that could change, you know, we're always changing. And if that changes, but that's how I feel right now. And I knew that pretty quickly but it was about a year after I stopped going to church that I don't know what happened. I just started, it like hit me one day that I believed this was it. And that when I died, I would like fade into oblivion. Yeah. And I had like a near panic attack every day for a week. And um, I posted it on Single Mormon Transitions, which is a Facebook group for um, single transitioning Mormons. Um, for, you know, just a place, the best. The best so if of you the single transitioners. Yeah, we all met each other there. Cool. And um, so if you're, you're, if you're not part of that best group, you need to join it. Um, and anyway, I posted about this panic that I was having and, and people were really kind and had some really thoughtful advice and comfort for me. And, um, you know, some of the things I listened to were like Alan Watts. And I actually linked on our um page, I will link to these videos that I am referring to, but there's this one video by Alan Watts, just the acceptance of death and meaning of life. And then, um, there's a video called the greatest, our greatest delusion by Veritasium. 
And um, mm, I love it. Yeah. So Veritasium is the best. Sorry. Yeah. So anyway, they just kind of go over like we want so badly to exist forever. And so, you know, we, it's kind of led us to not appreciate the now. And, you know, Alan Watts talks about children when they're born. It's like they go through life just appreciating everything because everything is brand new. But as we get older, you know, it's time for us to pass on and, and pass the torch to a new generation. And so anyway, and then people just gave me a lot of advice and I, I, I've, I've worked through some of it um, or a lot of it, but I still have moments where that's the most heartbreaking thing to me is having lost that, like lost my family. You know, I think one of the most beautiful things about religion is that you believe you are going to exist after this life and exist with your family and your friends and your loved ones. And you're going to be happy because you're not going to have the same challenges that you had here and all your, all your pain will be made whole, you know? And I wanted that so bad. And I still am like, if it, if it were up to me, that would exist 100%, you know, but I just can't go back anymore. Um, because I, I know that I don't believe in that. However, if I die and I end up, you know, and there's a, a guy, a white guy with a beard talking to me, <laughs> then I'll be happy. Because it know, will I'll be, he it. will be white. All the art has uh, confirmed <laughs> that, you know. I know. <laughs> I ha- I've, I've had a similar, I resonate with that so much because it, it really is a painful realization to think, well, you might not believe that anymore. I still hope for it so strongly that it's almost a belief, but it is pretty tragic. Um just recently I went to the King Tut museum in LA or the King Tut exhibit. And they touched on a a quote from the book of the dead that says something along the lines of you have two deaths. Your first is the one that we're all familiar with. And the second death is when the last person breathes your name. And I, I really resonate with that too. And, And there's a, there's a Disney movie Coco that came out last year, I think. And it's kind of the same idea. Like the last person that thinks about you is when you actually cease to exist and I really, um, although that makes me really sad because I don't think I'm going to be in any history books or anything. What are you talking about? This podcast is, yeah, this podcast is going to go viral. I can gonna feel keep it my already. soul alive. Uh, but a couple of things I wanted to, t- a couple of things I wanted to touch on too, uh, before we close is, um, I'm super fascinated with the term atheism, um, just recently because it's, it's the non position, um, and I haven't figured out how to articulate this well yet, but it's, you know, you find somebody who uh, is a fan of Justin Bieber and they're just like Bieber fever or whatever, but you don't have any like non Justin Bieber fans. They don't have a group of anti Justin Bieber's or, you know, uh, one of my, a non-believer, I think would there's be probably a Facebook that. page. But I just think it's, it's <laughs> a fascinating a group to have, have to come up with a, a title just to say like, no, I don't. I don't, I was dating a girl last year, um, Michelle, your friend that, uh, that when I, when we had the conversation, like, well, do you believe in God and heaven and all this stuff? Um, when I asked her if she believed in God, she said, define it. And that really resonated with me. Like, okay, that's cool. And since then I've thought, well, do you believe in heaven? Define it. And, and I've had to kind of define it, um, 
distinct from the Mormon upbringing that I've had and maybe non anthropomorphically. And I, I think I've come to a place where I do believe in God, but just not any that's ever been defined before. Um, and the same thing with heaven and afterlife. And so that's where I'm, I'm sitting now is just, just a severe hope for this intangible existence that I can only imagine. Yeah. Yeah, I like that a lot. I mean, a lot of, a lot of these definitions have become rigid for us over the years and we're learning to unlearn those, you know, that rigidity. Right. And and I think that's really powerful. I think, I think that I'm in the same spot. I think I believe similarly that like, um, yeah, you could call me someone who believes in God, depending on how we define God, right? Like you could call me someone who believes in an afterlife. Uh, if we define afterlife as some kind of ripple effect, right? I mean, I think, it's uh, undeniable that um, our lives, the lives of just us three are constantly affected by people who are no longer living. Right. Martin Luther King, um, you know, like Gandhi, Jesus, like all these people clearly are still quote unquote alive. Like they're, they're still affecting the world. Mother Teresa, you know, um, Abraham Lincoln. (laughs) Can I say something about that, Chris? Yeah, please do. I, I get that. And, and people say that, but to me, like it, in all honesty, that doesn't bring me comfort because what, what is hard for me is knowing that I don't get to see any of that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like in yeah. my mind, because however we define God or, or, you know, heaven or whatever, whether God is energy or, or, a supreme being or whatever, if you no longer believe, like, like my personal belief is that when I die, I don't have a soul that goes somewhere or that ex- continues. Yeah. To so exist. even if people are quoting you a hundred years from now, you don't get to hear it, which yeah, like a- my consciousness is ends. And that is something that I have a that's really a hard time coming for, to terms with. That's so interesting. Cause for me, that's not scary at all. Like I'm okay checking out as long as um, I get to leave something on the wall, you know, right before I walk out the door, like as, as if people are still, um, there's the, there, have you guys seen the film 12 Angry Men? My favorite. Um, yeah. It's so, so good, good, right? So My favorite good. part of that film is when they're questioning uh, the veracity or the legitimacy of this one old man's testimony in court. And they're like, why would he lie about that? And, and the one old guy in the room is like, oh, I know why he would lie about that. Cause he wants to be quoted. He wants to be important. Uh, you guys don't understand what it's like to be his age and to not have been quoted. And, and you know, he, he gave all these examples of like, did you see the suit he was wearing? Did you see the way he was acting about this, this, and this? And I just, I resonate with that. I'm not an old man yet, but I resonate with that a lot, that scene, because I, I really want uh, to have a ripple effect, to have some uh, shadow on the world that is positive, that um, people remember, um, even if it's something small, like a relationship or a, um, Me a mem- too. memory. Uh, and, but I also want to exist forever. Yeah, and you want to be around <laughs> to see it. Both? Yeah, I, I I totally understand why you want both. Just for me, I I don't need both. I just need, I just need uh, on my deathbed to know that that the footprint has, made a been, has been laid in the sand. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think I think this topic is a profound topic that we could spend hours on. Uh, 
whether it's whether comfort is is the yeah. uh, crux of the discussion. You know, like if something makes you comfortable, does that mean that it's true? One and two, is it more comfortable to say to somebody, um, "You exist now, and you'll never exist again," or "You never existed before, and you exist now." Um, just two different perspectives, but one sounds yeah, of the yeah. exact same thing, but one sounds a lot more comforting than the other. Uh, and it's, it's, it's troublesome, especially when you're fed the whole life that you're going to exist forever. And not only that, but be a God or goddess and rule your universe. And now it's like, well, actually maybe none of that's true. That's rough. So maybe if we started from a different perspective, we might be a little more comfortable. Yeah. I will say this. If someone had an elixir of life, I would drink it. I know that there's a lot of people that are like, (laughs) (laughs) there's a lot of people that are like, Oh no, like I I wouldn't want to live forever. And I'm like, okay, well sign me up because (laughs) if I'm the only one, there's going to be fewer people in line Mm -hmm. for this this elixir of life and I'm going to do it. I just, I will, I would like to live forever or at least to the point where I am ready. (laughs) And I just don't think a hundred years is enough. Like, I'm like, can't we, can't humans have evolved to, to live for 200 years or like 300? Like why? True. I mean, obviously in the Bible we used to, so why can't we <laughs> now? It is, it is weirdly short. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of movies to watch that I just won't have time to see. And that's very sad. <laughs> yeah. I think about that pretty often. Um, I think that's all we have time for. Uh, I, I, we did it. We solved the afterlife. Um, we figured it out. Uh, but listeners, if you uh, you heard it here first, if you have an elixir of life, please send it to Michelle Ross. Um, please, please. She please. wants to live forever. The rest of us are sleepy and want to go to the <laughs> Let's go in the garden. Find something waiting right there where you left it lying upside down. On the Other Side was a production of the Open Stories Foundation between July 19th and October 25th of 2018. The underside is lighter when you turn it around. Everything stays right where you left it. The intro and outro theme for this podcast is Everything Stays, a Rebecca Sugar cover by Bly Wallentine. You can find more of Bly's music at blywallentine.com. Everything stays right where you left it.